0: Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labour and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory.
1: War. What is it good for? Wrong. Lots and lots of money. That's what the song should have been. So why does war exist? What is the Marxist materialist analysis of war? Well, if you you believe some people, war exists due to, I guess, original sin. The inherent evil of humanity. Violence exists because we are violent. It is an inherent tautology. Humanity is a terrible, terrible creature and just does this stuff for fun. I'm here to say that is wrong. That is very wrong, and as all all tautologies, explains precisely nothing. Now, actually, if you look at human society, yes, war, is a, a permanent condition, even in pre-class societies. Yes, different tribes went to war with each other. There's very clear uh, information on that, very, very clear uh, history of that. But did they go to war with each other for fun? No, not a bit of it every time when tribes are going to war, it is for very explicit reasons. Material resources. A conflict over limited resources. That is the overwhelming drive for war throughout human history. And that is the basis of our analysis. Skipping forward to the first class societies, slave societies, Rome, Rome existed in a perpetual condition of war. Why? For fun? No, for slaves. Where do you think they got the slaves from? Wars. Wars, wars, and more wars. You seize land, you seize territory, you seize people. Seize those slaves. And there is an economic precondition of slavery why take slaves if a slave only produces an, as much that they themselves consume no it's based upon a development of the material resources of society of the productivity of labor you go to war you conquer people you enslave them and then those slaves produce a surplus produce a surplus then that can become the property of the landowning aristocracy in the Roman Empire. That's the logic of Roman wars. And that is also, in a different way, the logic of capitalist wars. Now, Larissa gave a fantastic presentation at the opening of this school on what is capitalist imperialism. And that's, and that's how we need to ground ourselves in a Marxist analysis of what is imperialism if we are going to understand war under capitalism. Now, what is imperialism? Just to summarize what Larissa did in more depth than I'm going to do now. This is review. So, capitalism develops. Capitalism develops out of feudalism, and capitalism develops in a situation of free free markets, or relatively free markets. And out of those free markets, a surplus is produced. And part of that surplus is fed back into production to improve machinery, improve technique, improve the productivity of labor. But what does that do? It creates an additional surplus, an additional surplus. If this surplus cannot be utilized, it becomes an end result of the overproduction, the crisis of overproduction. So all of this surplus product, this surplus capacity needs to find an outlet. So as well as reinvestment, they export that capital. That export that capital onto foreign markets. So there's a so British imperialism, Brit- British capitalism, the first capitalism of, on the planet, exported that capital to India, to Africa, to North and South America. That's what it did. It ex- exported that capital to, to do two things: to exploit cheap raw materials and cheap labor. right? So that's the the purpose of the export of capital cheap raw materials cheap labor and and then to profit to bring back those super profits for the imperialist power. Now there's a problem here that in the imperialist nation talked about The cycle of capital accumulation, reinvestment, uh, exploitation of workers. What happens to those workers if they get out of line? Well, that's what the police are for. If the workers put up a picket line, the bosses organize their state, get some cops, crack some heads, put the workers back to work, continue the exploitation. That's the situation within the imperialist nation. That's how the capitalist state functions. And in fact, capitalism was born out of state repression. The workers, well the peasants, were forced off the land. They were expropriated and forced into the cities by state violence. And the state also played a role in foreign export of capital in order to provide subsidies and military backing. We just discussed the indigenous question in Oka. See that the primitive accumulation of capital was based upon the expropriation of the wealth of indigenous peoples. Founded, this is the economic and social and military and violent preconditions of imperialism, right? Whereas the police exist in the home nation, how do they safeguard their foreign investments? Military, imperialism. Marx talked about how capitalism came to birth dripping with blood and dirt from every pore. That is imperialism. So the capitalists need a military to make sure that their foreign investments are safe, that they don't face, initially, indigenous uprisings. Actually, in fact, there were several indigenous uprisings. Uh, I, I think um, the, uh, the city of Montreal was put to flame a couple of times uh, in its founding. So they needed to secure, uh, and there's you look at the map of North America, what do you see? Fort this, fort that, fort this, fort that. Right? There's, I assume there's forts nearby. Right? That's the foundation of British imperialism in North America that became Canadian imperialism. So they each develop a military to defend their investments abroad. Now, capitalism develops. Capitalism leaves behind feudalism. Capitalism seeks out new markets, new fields of exploitation. The different capitalist powers grow and grow and grow and grow. And the trouble is, the earth is finite. The earth is finite. And the first capitalist power seize all the territories first. Classically, British imperialism, the first major imperialist power seized India, seized North America, advanced its wealth and power, the the empire that the sun never set. And so they gained huge super profits from that. Whereas the other capitalist powers were relatively slow on the scene. France, Germany, Italy, after the American Revolution, USA. So the other capitalist powers, they are developing their home industry. They are developing a surplus and they wish to invest that surplus on foreign markets. And who do they find when they get to those foreign markets? Johnny English. Sitting there going, no, 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 no. I've got a gunboat here and I've got all the contracts. So you German investors, you have to go away. Right? So they could, while the economy, while the world economy is growing, they could come to gentleman agreements occasionally. Right? And they do that. They come to gentleman agreements. But we have to remind ourselves: what are they coming to agreements over? They're coming to gentlemen's agreements over us. Over, it is like the difference between the Romans and the Carthaginians, or the Sassanids, or the various different empires in Roman times. What are they coming to agreements over? Who gets the slaves? Who gets the slaves? We can never forget that. But here, it is who gets the wage slaves? Who gets to destroy the environment? Who gets to exploit, who gets to oppress. That is the agreement between the various imperialist powers. And then they formed alliances. Then they formed alliances. So you had uh, British imperialism together with French, together with Russian. You got the Germans together with the Austrians, together with the Italians. Various different Alliances and these are all alliances for peace. <laughs> George Orwell would have been very proud, <laughs> right? Alliances for peace. Alliances of pe- no. What this is is favoured status against opponent imperialisms and all building up their war machine. All building up their war machine. But it, oh, but it's not war. It's defence. See, when it comes to war, all the language is turned on its head. It's not war, it's defense. It's for peace, right? We need to see through the scam. We need to see through the scam. And, and the socialists of uh, over 100 years ago, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Trotsky, the, the sec- and then the second international, the socialist international, Based upon Marxist ideas, said, made a fantastic declaration in 1912 in Basel. They said this united all of the revolutionary socialist workers, numbering in the hundreds of thousands, if not the millions, especially in Germany, the strongest section of the Second International with many MPs, trade unions, something like 20 daily newspapers, all of this. In Basel, they said, in the event of an imperialist war, we will organize a general strike. We will organize a revolution. Actually, I think Lenin and Rosa Luxemburg moved that resolution at the the Basel Congress in 2012 of the Second International. We will organize a revolution and general strike in the event of imperialist war. And all seemed secure for the working class against imperialism. But what happened? What happened? Yeah. What was the beginning of the First World War? What were the causes of the First World War? Was it Archduke Ferdinand being shot in Sarajevo? Don't think so. Sorry to the family of the Archduke. Um, I'm sure they were very upset. But this is, in dialectical terms, the accident that showed necessity. That the previous, there had been something like uh, 20, 30 years of capitalist boom prior. But all the contradictions were building up. Within capitalism, it was all building up with the, between the different imperialist powers, and they all built up these mutual defense pacts uh, in order to prevent Whoa. war, to have peace. Um, but it just took one event, this accidental event of an assassination. Actually, I think the first assassin's bullets missed, right? It's entirely possible that they could have missed, but it would have been something else. Uh, if you've got a forest that is tinder dry, it just needs a single lightning strike or some foolish person with a cigarette to start off the forest fire. Is it the lightning strike that, that started the fire? Well, yes, but kind of no, because the lightning strike is an inevitability. It's going to happen sooner, sooner or later. And so something was going to happen to spark off all of these accumulated contradictions because all of the imperialist powers had carved out the planet. But that's okay, because the workers would use this opportunity to fight back and stop the war, right? Wrong. (laughs) That's not what happened. Sadly, what happened is that with almost without exception, except for the Russian Marxists and the Serbian Marxists, the different parties of the Second International capitulated to their own national bourgeoisie. Lenin called it social patriotism, right? So in France and Britain, they could, they could say, ah, the Kaiser, the reactionary anti-democratic German king he has imperialist uh, aims, and we must fight against the anti democratic German Kaiser. And they're right, German Kaiser, nothing worth supporting. But in Germany, they look at the British, French, and Russian alliances and they're like, ah, we must fight against the anti democratic and dictatorial czar that crushed the revolutions of 1848 in blood. We must unite against that and unite with our own bourgeoisie. So it's a huge betrayal, a historic betrayal, probably the worst betrayal of the working class in history. And there have been a lot, and they're going on right now. But this is probably the greatest betrayal of them all. Actually, that is the title of the book, isn't it? The Great Betrayal or The Great Slaughter. And, and it was hugely uh, disorientating to the, the revolutionary vanguard, the socialists, the socialist workers. In fact, when Lenin saw the first edition of Vorartz, the German socialist paper, saying that the German socialist deputies voted for war credits, what voted for the war budget, he thought it was a forgery of the Kaiser's regime. He could not believe it. Such was the disorientation. And and the anti-war forces were smashed. Smashed. Combined with the political disorientation, there was the war propaganda, the war fever, the war hysteria, that, that that's frequently accompanies the beginning of war. and in fact, at the beginning of the war is the most difficult time for revolutionaries to oppose war, because that, that's when there are the most delusions. We've seen this recently with the war in Ukraine. We've seen that how 90% of Canadians supports NATO's war aims. Oh, sorry, peace aims. (laughs) Peacefully, no-fly zones, and starting World War III. Right? I'll come to Ukraine later, and I assume that will take up a large part of the discussion. But uh, the propaganda is immense, and the the wave of patriotism is very difficult to resist. Uh, But we have to. You have to. You absolutely have to, to understand the material conditions behind imperialist war. Uh, and, and even Karl Liebknecht, he actually voted for the war credits in the first vote. He was taken in by the sort of collective solidarity of the, the German uh, socialist uh, deputies. But eventually, in the second vote, he saw, wait a sec, there's something wrong here. And he was the lone vote the lone voice, say, no, we say no, not in our name. Because, you know, a bayonet is a tool with a worker at both ends. And we have no interest in that fight. We have no interest in a division between the imperialist powers of who gets to express, exploit, and dominate who between the imperialist powers and so alone in the wilderness up in the swiss mountains in exile lenin explained lenin patiently explained in isolation this is a vital skill for revolutionaries to be have the courage to be the minority of the minority of the minority when you are fighting against the stream Knowing that the stream will turn in your direction as time develops and as facts become apparent to the mass. But if you capitulate, nobody will hear you and nobody will listen and the workers will be leaderless when it matters. So we must have the courage. Lenin was isolated. Karl Liebknecht was arrested. Thrown in jail for his ideas. Same as Rosa Luxemburg. Rosa Luxemburg was thrown in jail supposedly for her protection. Right? No, it was to shut her up. And to shut up Karl Liebknecht. So the genuine internationalist forces were incredibly isolated in this period. But they rallied together. They rallied together in Zimmerwald. In 1915, but they were inc- incredibly small. A Lenin jolt that you could fit all the internationalists in the world in four stagecoaches, because that's how many stagecoaches it took to take the delegates from the train station at the bottom of the hill to the the meeting rooms at the top of the hill. Right? Incredibly isolated. However, war has its own logic. War has it, you know. They all say, oh, it'll all be over by Christmas. Well, it wasn't over by Christmas. And people saw through the reality and the horrors of war how the different imperial powers did not care for the workers, did not care for one side or another. They signed secret treaties to divide up the world over the backs of the workers. There is no interest of the workers in this division and subdivision of colonial slaves. And eventually, the workers started seeing through that. And then you have to see, how did the First World War end? How did the First World War end? Actually, hands up here. So actually, hands up everybody who studied the First World War in high school. I assume it's everybody. You didn't study it in high school? Wow. (laughs) Okay. pretty standard. I studied it in high school. Okay, hands up here in high school, everybody who studied how the First World War ended. A few, but not many. Right? Actually, hands up who were given the right answer of how the First World War ended in high school. One. (laughs) No, no. Maybe. The First World War was ended by two revolutions, by the Russian Revolution and by the German Revolution. The Russian Revolution took uh, took Russia out of the war on the slogan of peace, land, and bread. The German Revolution, Germany had already lost the war, and the generals wanted one final suicidal push for the glory of the Kaiser. And surprisingly enough, the soldiers and sailors who were going to be part of that suicidal push weren't keen on that and so they organised a general strike and a revolution that brought down the kaiser and could have achieved socialism if there was a revolutionary bolshevik party present like there was in russia but i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself ahead of myself the Revolutionaries in 1914, 1915 were incredibly isolated. And so, what did Lenin do? This was a moment of truth in the Marxist and the socialist movement. And ev- almost everybody had capitulated to social patriotism, to capitulated to supporting their own bourgeoisie. So Lenin put forward a very sharp position, and this is classic of Lenin's style, Lenin's method of really sharply putting the question so nobody can ignore it. And he put forward the idea of revolutionary defeatism. Revolutionary defeatism, the statement that in imperialist war, the defeat of the home imperialism is the lesser evil. Right? And that is 100% correct. That is 100% correct. But because for us, the enemy is at home. The exploiter is at home. The oppressor is at home. Do you really need to tell Indigenous people that from the last session? That the enemy is at home. Of course, the enemy is at home. But that is incredibly difficult to say against war propaganda that identifies the horrors of the other side, right? And you know, why did yeah? You know, and in addition to you know the horrors of the Kaiser, let's put it on this on the the war aims of British, Canadian, French imperialism in the First World War. You know so. They, they created these incredible stories about the murder of nuns and even worse things. And poor little Belgium, poor little Belgium having its self-determination violated by German imperialism. And it's true. Belgium did have its self-determination violated by German imperialism. But are you going to rely upon British imperialism? that's violating the self-determination of the indian people or the african people to save belgium self-determination hell no hell no the hypocrisy always reeks see this today with ukraine the hypocrisy reeks and the weak elements capitulate to that but we cannot be weak comrades we cannot be weak we must be strong and say no and Stand in isolation if we have to. So this is is the nature of the self-determination of small nationalities. They're just so much small change to the imperialist powers. But for us, yes, between a conflict between two imperialist powers, yes, German imperialism or Russian imperialism or whichever imperialism is deserves zero support. But which imperialism can we fight? The only imperialism we can realistically fight is the home imperialism. As Marxists in Canada or Britain or France, you can fight Canadian, British, French, American imperialism, right? That's the one that you can change. That's the one that you can fight and stop the war aims and the war hypocrisy of your home imperialism that oppresses your own workers, Exploits the workers and uses the police against them at home. War is the continuation of politics by other means. Doesn't That, that was the, uh, the phrase of Klaus Rich. But getting back to Lenin's revolutionary defeatism. Lenin said defeat of the home imperialism was the lesser evil. But this has also been misunderstood. Let's be clear. That has been misunderstood to say that we actively campaign for the victory of the foreign imperialism. No, actually even some of Lenin's supporters presented it that way. No, this sharp formulation was never meant for the masses. This sharp formulation was meant for the revolutionary vanguard to make sure they were utterly immune from any taint of social chauvinism. And the real emphasis of defeat is the lesser evil. It is about the continuation of the class struggle. That you must continue the class struggle for socialism. You must continue the class struggle to defeat uh, your home imperialism and fight to bring down your imperialist state. And if strikes and if workers' organization leads to defeat in war, well, then that is the lesser evil. So it is against the cessation of the class struggle. That's what Lenin's revolutionary defeatism actually meant in practice, not support for foreign imperialism. Right? Some sectarians these days interpret it that way, that uh, you know you must cheer for Putin or something like that. No, we're not in favor of the opposed imperialism, but we put the emphasis... Uh, Emphasis on the home imperialism, and we oppose the hypocrisy, and we do not cease the class struggle. We continue the class struggle and the fight. And from this very sharp approach, Lenin was able to hold together the vanguard from capitulating. Uh, So we, we and then, but then in nineteen seventeen when Lenin was talking to the masses, he actually didn't put forward revolutionary defeatism. That wasn't a policy that could win the masses. The slogans of 1917 was peace, land, and bread. And he was accused of saying that the Russian troops should put their bayonets in the ground and allow the victory of the Germans, and be a German agent, right? He was accused of being a German agent. He said, no on the basis of a workers government we will defend that government against german imperialism but this is a even after the defeat of tsarism this is a capitalist imperialist government that keeps its secret treaties secret and has imperialist war aims to carve up humanity and carve up uh, markets and spheres of influence and so no we can give no support, peace, land, and bread, and upon the seizure of power by the working class, then we will cease to be defeatists, we will become defensists, and we will defend a worker state from German imperialism. So that's Lenin's revolutionary defeatism. And actually, it's an important segue of the different, that why we aren't pacifists, Now, after October 1917, the workers were in power in Russia, building the Soviet Union. Then we very clearly aren't pacifists against imperialist armies, whether they be German, initially, with the the failure of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, or then the allied imperialisms, British... French, American, or the rest of them invading in 21 foreign armies of intervention. Then we're very you know to be a pacifist in that situation would be to have the workers revolution drowned in blood. And and then the workers of the world are tasked with actually sabotaging that imperial effort. That occurred in Canada too. So they sent troops from uh, across Canada, off to Victoria. Actually, the, the troop trains, across from, starting from Quebec and across Canada, were a major spreader of the Spanish flu back then. And then they drilled in Victoria and a whole wave of them mutinied. whole wave of them mutinied. And they had to force those soldiers to Vladivostok at bayonet point. Right? There's, a, there's quite a good book on it. Uh, by a sort of a former friend of the organization, Ben Izzet. Uh, He's a a left-wing Victoria city councillor called uh, From uh, Victoria to Vladivostok. His conclusions are wrong, but his research is quite good. Um, So I'd recommend that book. Uh, But then when the Canadian troops got to Vladivostok, they were so demoralized and so full of socialist propaganda, they were totally useless. Uh, There were actually uh, more um, uh, casualties... Uh, for the Canadian troops from uh, venereal disease than actual fighting because they couldn't get put in the field. So uh, they just hung out in uh, Vladivostok and quite demoralized because uh, they were totally impossible to to utilize them for military advance. But uh, there you're, you're, ex- you're, you're defending the workers' state, defending the workers' revolution against imperialist intervention. And the same thing occurs between a war between a colonial nation and an imperialist nation. You would not be neutral in that situation. That uh, if, yeah, for ex- actually, classic example, the American Revolution would not be neutral. This is a war between a colonial rising nation and British imperialism. Not neutral on that at all. You'd support. The Americans. You support the revolutionary Americans against British imperialism. And there are examples of this again and again and again and again. So we are not pacifists. And and actually pacifism broadly, we may form a united front for pacifists, with pacifists. We may form, you know, or be part of anti-war demonstrations with pacifists. There's an honest pacifism of the masses. right? The pacifism of the Russian workers in 1917, just a desire for an end to war, uh, that that is progressive and revolutionary in consciousness, if not fully conscious of the necessary tasks and aims. But there is a developed ideological pacifism, a liberal Pacifism, which, while we may rally together with them, we may even appear on the same platforms with them, we have to vigorously oppose that. So what is the idea of pacifism? Stop war. Disarm. Cease fire. Negotiate. Right? These sound, this sounds like great slogans. Cease fire. Negotiate. Okay, who's who's opposed to that? Let's come to a reasonable compromise. I remind you, what is the reasonable compromise that is being come over? It is a reasonable compromise on division of the slaves. That's what pacifism is because it accepts capitalism. It accepts imperialism. We cannot come to a reasonable compromise over the division of the slaves. We are for the liberation of the slaves. We are a liberation of the working class, an end to the oppression of the oppressed colonial masses. That is the revolutionary condition. That's why Lenin said, turn the imperialist war into a civil war. Very sharp slogan, that the workers should learn how to use those guns. And instead of turning them against each other, should turn them against their rulers. So we cannot accept the imperialist status quo. I used the Clausewitz uh, phrase, uh, Clausewitz saying earlier, "War is the continuation of politics by other means." Peaceful politics, war is. The co- but that also means that politics is the continuation of war by other means. Peace on the basis of the balance of power between competing powers is merely preparation for new wars. As the different powers come up and down, Right. what was the basis of the First World War? British imperialism had seized all the markets, but was going down as a power. German imperialism didn't have as many markets, but was coming up as a power. So, on that basis, well, it's not really fair that Britain has got all these markets that Germany really deserves to have. The reality is neither of them deserve to have any of them. And passivism accepts the logic of imperialism, just wants it to be peaceful. You can peacefully exploit and oppress. It's totally utopian, and it is totally within the logic of imperialism. See, the reality is, once you have imperialism, war is inevitable. And once you have capitalism, imperialism is inevitable. So if you genuinely want to end war, not just this war or that war in this year or that location, but all war, you must fight imperialism. And therefore, you must fight capitalism. And you must fight for socialism, and that's what the pacifists, the liberal pacifists, reject. We can never have a pacifist position. We have a revolutionary, socialist, anti-imperialist, colonial revolutionary position. And if that means a revolutionary war, then that is a just war. That is our position, comrades. And I'm going quite significantly over time, but I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, See, <laughs> so I'm hoping to get up to the 21st century, but now I'm going to take us to the Second World War. Uh, <laughs> that, so with the, uh, the Second World War was, in many ways, a continuation of the First World War. The same inter imperialist rivalries, the fact that German imperialis- imperialism was humiliated with the Versailles Treaty, and, uh, and, and Nazism had come to power with a mission of remilitarization, a reseizure of Marxists, uh, markets. And, um, excuse me, my phone is buzzing irritatingly. Um, so, and the, re- and the reseizure of markets and revenge for the humiliation of 1918, but in essence, it was still an imperialist war. It was British, German, so British-American imperialism who had seized markets on one side, versus Germany trying to seize new markets. But there's a complicating factor now. Fascism, all right, the fascists are in power in Germany. And this gave an incredible propaganda tool to Western imperialism to say, we are fighting fascism. Rank hypocrisy. Winston Churchill, the great hero of the Second World War, what did he say in, I think it was 1933, or maybe even sooner? he said if i was italian i would be a fascist mussolini is doing great things for the italian people stopping the bolsheviks that's what hitler no, sorry that ah, yeah, that's what hitler probably did say but uh, but that's what winston churchill actually said that, that was the belief of western imperialism they were all in favor of fascism when the fascists were smashing socialists and communists and trade unionists, all in favor of that. They only became anti-fascist when their own markets and spheres of influence were under threat. You know, If they could send Hitler to fight uh, the Soviet Union and weaken the two, Great. And then the Brits and the French would march in and take over all of the the weakened foreign forces. That was their aim. That only when their own imperialist holdings came under threat did they mobilize for war and use anti-fascist slogans. Now this put the Marxists in a very difficult position. That In in this condition, well, we're opposed to fascism. We're clearly opposed to fascism, and we've been fighting fascism since its very birth. But you cannot trust British, Canadian, American imperialism to fight fascism. They're all in favor of fascism with regard to the working class. They just want to keep their imperialist holdings. But again, with the war, a propaganda, how do you get through to that? How do you get through to that? And so Trotsky put forward a policy called the proletarian military policy, which was an extension of Lenin's revolutionary defeatism. To come to the British ma- masses and say the victory of Hitler is the lesser evil, to come to the British workers and say the victory of Hitler is the lesser evil, would be a very, very quick way to go to hospital. <laughs> uh, and so, That's not exactly, and and some uh, so-called Trotskyists did put forward this position from their bedrooms. (laughs) They never actually dared to put it forward in any working class environment because they knew very well that they would end up in the hospital very quickly if you say the victory of Hitler is the lesser evil. So uh, Trotsky explained that Lenin was talking for the vanguard. In revolutionary defeatism and trying to cut across the confusion of the vanguard. But there's been sort of 20 years, 25 years of uh, history since the betrayal of the Second International. And people had learnt about the betrayal of the Second International. So it isn't the same disorientation. And now you're not talking to the, the vanguard. You We are contenders for power, and you are talking to the masses. And so Trotsky advised the following. Yes, it is an imperialist war, and we cannot be fooled about this hypocrisy about defending democracy against fascism. These imperialists don't care about democracy, and themselves would move to fascism in a heartbeat if it would meet their purposes. But we want to defeat Hitler. We demand to defeat Hitler. We demand to liberate the German people from the clutches of fascism. And yes, we will wage war to liberate the German people. But Churchill and Canadian imperialism, American imperialism, have no interest in liberating the German people. They say the only good German is a dead German. And they're in favor of crushing the German people. In fact, actually after the end of the Second World War, who do you think uh, built the bomb for American imperialism? It was German Nazi scientists. The head of NATO, the first head of NATO was actually a German general. general. So now they took all of these old Nazis and and they accommodated themselves with them just fine. Just fine. But we said, look. You cannot trust British Canadian imperialism to deal with Hitler. They will do a rotten deal over the bones of the workers. So we must strike and we must fight for a workers' government. A workers' government that will then wage a revolutionary war against fascism. And all of the hypocrisies and the incompetencies of the imperialists would prove this true. In fact, British imperialism didn't fight Hitler. You know, up until 1944, what was British imperialism doing in the war? Messing around in Africa to try and protect its colonial holdings. That's what British imperialism was doing. It wasn't fighting Hitler. And then why did Normandy landings happen? Actually, that's all you hear about. You know, what defeated Hitler? Ah, oh, Normandy landings, right? The Americans and the Brits came in to liberate Europe. Not a bit of it. What actually defeated fascism was the Soviet Union. 90% of the fighting, 90% of the dying was on the Eastern Front. And the planned economy showed its overwhelming superiority uh, in defeating Nazi Germany with the combined resources of continental Europe. That is, in itself, an example of the victory of the planned economy. In war, the most important of equations. And uh, they sw- it was the most rapid advance in human history, defeated fascism, and so and, and Hitler made a huge mistake from the perspective of capitalism. He should, you know, the capitalists, they tried to organize a coup. There's a very bad Tom, Tom Cruise movie about it. It was called Valkyrie or something. They tried to organize a coup uh, because the war had been lost for German imperialism. They should have, from the perspective of the German bourgeois, they should have surrendered to the Americans and saved Eastern Europe for capitalism. But Hitler was a madman, wanted to fight to the very end, and lost the whole of Eastern Europe to the Red Army. And and that was the reason for the American-British invasion was... Because if they didn't do that, instead of meeting the Red Army in Berlin, they would have met them in Dieppe. That's the coastal town, the closest one to Britain. And the whole of Europe would have been taken over by the Red Army. And capitalism would have been expropriated. So that was the only reason they invaded. You can't trust the imperialists. You can't trust the imperialists. So that was the proletarian military policy. Same thing was important in the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War. Again, how did the Vietnam War end? It wasn't by military means. In fact, if the United States was a fascist country, they could have just nuked Vietnam. Right? But they had to contend with the working class and they had to enlist the working class in fighting the Vietnam War. And and that and in that is a fight between Proletarian Bonapartism, Deformed Workers State versus Imperialism. Of course, we are on the side of uh, Deformed Workers State, Proletarian Bonapartism. Even though we have criticisms, the eradication of landlordism and capitalism is far more progressive than the continuation of imperialism. And the the Vietnam War again. That was not American imperialism was not defeated militarily they were defeated politically. They were defeated by the mass uprising of the American youth and the American soldiers. That uh, in Vietnam, there was this phenomenon known as uh, fracking, or fragging, sorry, fragging, which the soldiers would accidentally drop a grenade in the foxhole that their officer happened to be in, and would mutiny and refused to fight. They likened the, uh, the American troops in Saigon to the Petrograd garrison in 1917. Sadly, the revolutionary forces were too weak and ha- had didn't adopt Trotsky's proletarian military policy consistently. And unfortunately, there wasn't the, the revolutionary organization to organize those workers and those youth and soldiers in the States and in Vietnam. If so, you could have had a revolutionary outcome from the Vietnam War, right? But the movement of the masses politically lost the Vietnam War. So this is what we always have to say. We always have to say, if you want to fight war, you must fight for revolution. Right? You can have no alliance with the liberal bourgeois. You have to fight for revolution to end cap- imperialism, end capitalism. And then may maybe you don't succeed in overthrowing capitalism, but if you scare them enough, like in Vietnam, you can end the war. But in Russia, it was literally the end of capitalism. Capitalism broke at its weakest link now, war is the handmaiden of revolution. Now, fast forward for today. I don't have much time to talk about Ukraine. I think it will come up in great detail in the discussion. But again, you see all the hypocrisies. Actually, first of all, there's a fear that we'll... we'll every time there's a major conflict there's this uh, sort of fear that goes out that we'll, we'll end up in a third world war in the end of humanity. And, and I hope to ease the concerns of the comrades, the third world war is not going to happen. Almost certainly. I guess I can't give you 100%, you know. But uh, you have to remember, why do the capitalists go to war? for markets and spheres of influence. If you nuke the working class, you can't exploit them. So it's kind of pointless. You've killed the goose that lays the golden egg. You go to war for markets and spheres of influence. And that, so now, instead of world wars, world wars are not, cannot happen under this condition. Partially due to nuclear weapons, and partially due to the strength and impact of the working class. You saw this with the Iraq war. 50 million people on the streets against the Iraq war across the globe. There's an incredible movement against war and sentiment against war amongst the working class. The working class is far stronger now than it ever was. Even in the Second World War, the majority of continental Europe were peasants. So now the overwhelming preponderance of humanity are working class and aren't prepared to go along, either immediately go along with war propaganda or go along with war propaganda for long. And so the pressure of the working class plus the presence of nuclear weapons makes Third World War a practical impossibility. But that doesn't mean there will not be wars. There's been perpetual wars. Small wars, proxy wars, wars between the major powers. And US imperialism is the most reactionary force on the planet. Every word out of their mouth stinks of hypocrisy. Right? They dare to call for peace, dare to f- call for the rule of international law. When did they care about that in Iraq? When did they care about that in Afghanistan? When did they care about that in Yugoslavia? They bombed the media center in Yugoslavia, in in Belgrade, killing over 20 people. When did they care about civilian targets? Why is um, Julian Assange being extradited to prison for revealing war crimes? Why is that happening, showing the war crimes of the imperialists? Whereas they are you know, as if butter wouldn't melt in their mouth talking about the crimes of Vladimir Putin. And of course, they are crimes of Vladimir Putin, but they have no right. They have no right to talk about them. Their crimes are 100 times bigger than Putin's. Putin's a gangster. Putin's an utter gangster. But the job of getting rid of Putin is that of the Russian working class. Whereas the American imperialists and and their buddies in Canada and Britain and France and the rest of them, they are even more guilty, even more guilty. Do anybody remember weapons of mass destruction? No, it's weapons of mass deception, right? That is the process of the imperialists. Now, of course, Ukraine. Ukraine is a poor country that has had its self-determination violated, absolutely. Ukraine has had its self-determination violated by Russian imperialism, and has its self-determination violated by NATO imperialism. So Ukraine deserves its self-determination. We demand that Ukraine has its self-determination. But it cannot have self-determination as being a puppet Of one of the major powers. And and if you look at the Western media, oh, the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Don't make me laugh. It's not a conflict between Ukraine and Russia. NATO, actually, NATO, the fall of the uh, Soviet Union and the cessation of the Warsaw Pact, NATO promised they would not expand. And they went, Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, Balkan states, up to, up to the very, very borders of Russia. Very, very borders of Russia. Ah, there should be peace and negotiations. Well, the reality is Russia was going to respond eventually. It, got, it was weak and it got pushed back. It was weak and it got pushed back. Eventually, it's, it's going to force itself back. Push back its imperialist interests because if Russia didn't, from its own perspective, its own imperialist interests, if it didn't intervene in Ukraine now, it would be in a weaker position and would be forced into war in a war another, in another weaker position for it. We don't care about the interests of Russian imperialism. We care even less about the interests of NATO imperialism. right And that's our imperialism, so that's what we focus on fighting, right? The self-determination of the Ukrainian people cannot happen between these two powers. It can only happen on the basis of a socialist revolution. The Russian workers overthrow the Russian imperialism, European workers, American workers, Canadian workers overthrow their imperialism, and then the Ukrainian workers, a socialist Ukraine will be able to determine their self-determination and their relations to the workers of the world in peace, in genuine peace. Because we have no interest in oppressing others. The workers have no interest. A People can never be free while they oppress another. And we want to be free, comrades. We want to be free. We want a a commonwealth to share the wealth of the people, not exploitation, oppression, and colonial masses, but a socialist society that instead of imperialism, yes, we share the resources of humanity. This is the only way to end war, comrades. This is the perspective we must have to ways to oppose war. We must oppose the hypocrisy of our imperialism, fight for socialism, win the labor movement to an anti-imperialist socialist perspective as the only consistent way to stop war. We must give criticism to the pacifists, especially the pacifists in the workers' movement. Sometimes they mean well, sometimes they're abject liberals. But we patiently explain and win them over with arguments, explaining what is the root of war. Lenin called for peace without annexations, peace and liberation of all the colonies, peace with self-determination for all the peoples, and peace with socialism. That's what we fight for, comrades. We can have peace in our time, but not on the basis of capitalism. We'll build this movement, we'll build the anti-war movement, we'll fight and we will win. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.